Today's reading comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in, everything, in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Here, hopefully you've got your scriptures with you. We've been looking at Titus as, if you, have, if you haven't picked that up, and those who will join us online, and thinking about today being trained by grace, and particularly focusing in on chapter 2. Uh, the whole of chapter 2, which we, we talked through and had a bit of time to share with last week, but now we um, spend some time looking at that. Once you're thinking quickly, uh, both is mentioned in chapter 2 is teaching and training, so just mention to the person next to you or someone nearby you, what's the difference? Is there a difference between teaching and training? Go for it. Difference in teaching and training. We've got a few teachers here too, we've got a few principals and wonder what their response is to this one. <laughs> but it'll be good to hear your thoughts and thank you for sharing uh, with each other. As you get to the end of chapter 1, we hear about false teachers and we see what uh, Paul has to say about the false teachers there and there's a great contrast and certainly a contrast between the false teacher and the true teacher. But we're thinking about teaching and training here and maybe the difference, you think that... Uh, for a teacher, you might think classroom. For trainer, you might think sporting field. Uh, but the teaching and training here, or well, teaching the truth, uh, might happen something like a sermon setting in church life, in the preaching and teaching. And training might be more a mentor relationship or a one-to-one -one setting. The older teaching the younger, the sister teaching the sister, the brother teaching the brother. But have a look there, chapter 2, verse 1, as it starts, and let's just look quickly there, because it says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So there's an emphasis there, when we get to the end of the chapter, in verse 15, it says, these then are the things you should teach. And so just from the bookends of the chapter, we see that this chapter is about teaching, and about a life that matches the teaching, that has been... Um, admonished here and chapter 2 that is uh, and as Gary's helpfully pointed out living in line with that and being a good model of that and a good representation of that truth and those teachings and so that's whether you're a pastor whether you're a person under authority whether you're a young person or older person and so Paul lists through different people here and we'll have a close look at that uh, Titus is to teach these things and to train these things. Uh, teach for understanding and train for applying these things. 
and all because of um, what he mentions in chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation. I'm so glad those songs he sang too mention salvation and our Saviour. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, to all people. And it teaches us and it trains us, as it goes on to say. And so it's this grace of God, the good news in the Lord Jesus, and the generous gift of God that teaches and trains us in our life and in our ministry. And so that's, that's the important thing to pick up here. The teaching the truth of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection, and the training of living it out, reflecting a life in accordance with those things, in accordance with the truth, is what we are called to hear. Just back or in a parallel book or a parallel letter in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all the scriptures is useful for teaching and training. And so we come to these scriptures today. But I'm going to ask you to pray and to pray with me. I want you to pray for the person next to you who you just spoke with. Pray for them firstly, so get started on that. When you finish that, pray for yourself. Um, Pray for yourself that God will help you identify what he's saying in his spirit to each one of us. And actually pray for me. I'd love you to pray for me in this time. So just take a moment to do that. And then we'll move on as we look at the different people that Paul applies these things to. And Father, we are thankful for those that you have placed around us today and those that you have drawn into your church. Father, we want to pray that you will make us uh, so willing to listen to what you have to say to us. We'll be so keen to hear your spirit that we'll be able to identify what you are saying to us and we'll be able to address what you have for us. And Father God, I pray for myself too that you may give me your words, Lord God, And that, Father, I may uh, lead your people at this time in your grace. And I ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, teaching and training have uh, different demographics here for different uh, people, uh, different groups of the church. And all those different demographics is important for church life and to be part of church life and to make healthy church life, to have people from different demographics. But he starts here. And, and maybe it's no coincidence that he starts with older men. Um, maybe there's order that we see here as we see order in creation. And we see him here talking to older men in verse 2. If you don't identify as an older man, that's okay. It still may apply to you. And I don't know, what's the cutoff for older men? Is it, I'm going for uh, plus 50. Is that right, older men? No. <laughs> no. no, it depends where you are. Yeah, that's right. Oh, is it all right? Okay, thank you. Clarif- clarified here. Um, I, I don't know what, what you class or what was the, dem- the exact demographic class here, but let's see what does apply and let's see what he has to say. Uh, maybe it's just when, you, when your son starts calling you old man. But anyway, verse 2-2 two, two says, Teach the older men to be tre- temperate, Worthy of respect, self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. And so he has here for the older men, he, he starts with uh, what I call the, I've identified three S's. 
Now, three S's might mean other things for older men in, in other contexts, but my three S's here is sober, serious, and self-control. They're called to uh, uh, soberness, that is, uh, not gripped by a vice or dependent upon substances in that regard, uh, to be clear in their thinking, and that's, that can be a real challenge in our culture. In, uh, I'm happy, actually, and thank God. There used to be a sign on the billboard between Austinville and Wallingbar, and it said it was for a liquor company in Lismore, which said, where with, where with you, Lismore? And I'm thinking, yeah, what are you doing? Helping them drown their sorrows? Um, but I'm glad that that one's removed. But we live in a culture where uh, this is a challenge and something that we have to keep uh, coming back to. Uh, to be sober and sober-minded. Serious, not that you can't joke, but not to make a joke of life, is I think what is being said here. But have you heard that there's been recent discoveries, archaeological discoveries of King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, from Daniel's day? They discovered that he actually was, he could talk underwater almost, it seems. He could just babble on. Yeah. Sorry, we're getting close to Father's Day. I thought I'd get in. Sorry, there wasn't much self-control there either. <laughs> but thinking about self-control in our culture, uh, that gratifies self-control, and in a sex-saturated culture, and we might think of the word glutton, uh, that comes up here of Cretan, Cretan people, and uh, a, society, a society that's we could maybe even call for our self-gluttonous in that regard, um, can be governed by instincts and not allowing us to govern our instincts. And so self-controlled is called for older men. Now these senior men learn the gravity of life and uh, it's, uh, they're meant to learn wisdom as they come to that age and there's meant to be three healthy areas that are meant to represent in their life or wholeness and healthiness areas. Did you notice the three that he mentions there? He talks about their faith, he talks about their love and their endurance. Faith that they are be close to Christ in his teachings and trained by his teachings and that they can train others to trust God and walk closer with him. Uh, not uh, uh, trust God more, not trust God less and encourage others to do that. And I think of uh, the late Kevin McGill, uh, I think in his circumstance, in his situation when he was in Maranoa, but the way that he was a great in encouragement in his, in his faith uh, for others to trust God more, I think of him. Love, and this is an increasing sympathy, I think, for um, uh, increasing sympathy for other people's view and people that make mistakes and making mistakes. And they're not meant to become GOMs, G-O-Ms, grumpy old men. They're supposed to become loving old men. And so they're encouraged here. Endurance also it might be physical endurance we're talking about here, obviously, but uh, spiritual endurance. And if you didn't know, I think everyone knows now that I've been in isolation in a three-by-three three room for a week. And so I went through a few things. I found a letter while I was in that time, and it was from your husband, Ian Nunn. And I think of him as his endurance as he got closer to the end of his life, the spiritual strength which came and came through in this letter that I just read during the week, which was a beautiful thing to find. 
Mature men, it is a, a place, and when they're at that mature stage, to invest in younger men. And we'll get to them in a moment, but we turn to older women and to younger women, uh, which Paul turns to. It says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in their way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Here, the mature women, which you move to now, you can identify if that's you. Uh, mature women are to be similar, it's likewise, uh, but there's, and I think it's the three kind of things which are picked up and I just mentioned then, uh, for men, uh, similarly, but they're emphasised with a female um, or a feminine temptations which may come. So a seri seriousness as well is called of, of older women, that they have a, a respect or a reverence for things of God and taking godly living seriously. Self-control, and ladies, this is really to do probably with uh, their ladies' lips. Uh, gossip mentioned here, not talking behind people, spacks or about people, is the encouragement that comes here. And a soberness as well. And not an escapism, addicted to much wine, mentioned there, but being able to be clear thinkers as well, in, in, in clarity in their thinking. Because then they'll be able to, in verse 4, then... They can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, and to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. And so the mature woman plays an important role in the church community, but not only the church community, it goes beyond that. It goes to our society as well. Immature women have a role and an influence in male and female, young male and female lives in a unique way uh, which they get to speak into young lives. Now we're all, we're all called to, in Colossians 3.16, it says to teach one another and train one another. But it's here highlighted for the women in Titus. And I found during the week too a healthy book, which I think is a great, a great book. And I read a little bit from this author. Her name is Melissa Kruger. And she writes of this idea of the younger and the older teaching uh, uh, training that will happen. She has this great illustration where she talks about as a young person in her front yard, there was a tree. It was only a young tree. But her and other kids in the street used to swing on it. So what happened to that little tree? The little tree was always bent over. And one day her dad came out into the yard and he didn't rouse on them, but he just went and got a rope and he tethered that tree to the, the bigger tree that was next to it. And that was the image that keeps coming to her and the reminder of her of the whole idea of mentoring or this older teaching the younger. Great illustration and a great picture to take home in your mind. And she has two applications which she talks of in mentoring, is about equipping the younger Christian, and it's about equipping them in ministry as well, and encouraging them in the ministry. So equipping and encouraging, two E's. Both of these things are vital, I suppose, in, in the balance of mentorship and discipleship. 
And so if you're equipping someone and getting the balance of equipping right, then uh, th- that person uh, feels that they can contribute into ministries. They're also learning, so they, they they're always feel fresh in that. If they're only getting trained and equipped and never actually involved in ministry as much, well, they can easily get bored of that or they can easily lose interest. If they're only involved in ministry and serving in ministry, then as they do that and get busy in that, then they can get tired of that. They can lose energy for that and so they need to get equipped as well. And so having that balance you see there of equipping and um, encouraging in ministry is important. The young women, um, maybe this isn't happening in the island and the circumstances of the island and that's why maybe Paul mentions that particularly. Remember this is a sailor stopover island which is mentioned as well as in our intro. So there's that kind of culture happening there and there is the kind of love island mentality maybe. So Paul addresses this place and he, he talks, he addresses Titus, Paul to Titus, Titus to the older women to teach the younger women to pass this on. Uh, what are they to do? They're to be lovers of family, lovers of children if they have them, and lovers of the home is kind of really picked up here. They are to be submissive to their husbands. What did you say? Did it, is that archaic? Um, it, so, it sounds archaic, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, is that just culture thing that Paul says that? That's because it's their culture? I think it's pre-culture. I think this is something that's created that he's talked about. God has order in creation. And so there's an order which he, which he identifies and picks up here. This is God-given structure to family. Uh, but the, the idea of uh, women's being lovers of children, uh, their, their husband and the children in the home, is a really important thing. A really important thing that I think is lost in our culture and lost in our times. And the greatest career, you might be able to say, is to be a homemaker. The greatest career lost in our times, I believe. Uh, th- there's such a focus on, you know, quotas or having balance of gender in, in places and spheres. That this kind of idea has get lost and left behind. That... Um, a home life and making a stable home and a welcoming home and, and a home environment uh, that invites others in has kind of been thrown out the window. And I, I think it's, it's just difficult for modern Christian women. It's difficult for young modern Christian women because there's such a, a pull on them to be the super, super woman really. You've got to have the super home sorted out. You've got to have the super job and career sorted out. And you've got to have the super family sorted out, right? There's such a pressure for women. And we need to relieve them of that pressure in, in our Christian culture. And we need to encourage them. If our families are falling apart, our society is falling apart as well, Right? And there's importance of home life and family life. And the nurture that comes from women, the nurture that comes from wives, the nurture that comes from grandmothers, 
and mothers is fundamental to the whole fabric of our society. And so we need to uphold that. Well, Titus moves on not only to from the younger women to the younger men. So similarly, again as well, so he's picking up that same ideas. He says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Who said men can't think about one thing, hey? only one thing? Well, maybe, maybe they can, and uh, maybe that's why he just gives them the one thing. Uh, and uh, I think it's true, actually, our, our neural pathways for men, and it's the same for women. Just some are better at toggling. Apparently, your brain just toggles. Our neural pathways are kind of direct ones. But some of us are just better at, at toggling between things. And so he gives just the one thing for the younger men here, and it's the one thing that they do need and that they need to learn, particularly in a culture that actually is so sex-saturated, that's so alcohol-fueled and focused. Uh, self-control is the sphere that they need to work in and the one that needs to grow in. You know, our brains and the maturity I hear in studies of brains and of young men's brains it's not until they're like 25 to the grey matter gets, you know, can make healthy kind of decisions. You're there yet, mate? <laughs> um, and this is, this is, this is um, brain studies on, on men that, that we can kind of look to to see some of these things that help us see. And that's why it's true. Like young men can have brain explosions, right? That's where, the, and they're, they're more they're more likely to take risks and have risky behaviour and more likely to do things extremely. And sadly, that even, you know, calculates to suicide attempts and more likely to take drastic and extreme measures in those things. So the young man is to learn maturity and the, uh, the mature man here, this is where they can step in and help in equipping and encouraging the younger man and come alongside the younger man. Now, Paul has a word for the young pastor there as well. Sorry, I haven't clicked through there. Younger man to young, young pastor. In verse 7, he says, In everything set them an example, Titus. He's talking here, By doing what is good, in your teaching show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech, and uh, that cannot be condemned, so those that oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And they have nothing bad to say about Titus. There, as a young pastor, he is to be the Christian teacher with integrity in his life, and he is to be the Christian trainer as well with soundness in his speech and in his actions as well. Well, moves on here uh, into verse 9 where it says, Teach slaves, and you might think, what? Is this archaic as well? Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, uh, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. And here it is again, the life matching the teaching and the call to live out what you teach. 
But in verse five, uh, verse nine here and ten, mention of the word slaves is mentioned here, and uh, it's not the image that we are supposed to have of slaves of the slave trade, but the idea of servants, which we still have in some, you know, in some nations like Africa and Asia, still have servants in the household and who are part of a household. And that's the idea that Paul picks up here. And actually, he starts in this letter by calling himself a slave. So he identifies as a slave himself. And if you are a Christian, then that's actually what you should identify as as well, a slave of God or a slave of Christ. The Bible says that you're either a, you're a slave to something. You're a slave to sin and yourself and I, that's to Satan, or, or you're a slave to God, to Christ, and His Spirit's work, working your life. So you're one, or, or the, you're a slave to one or the other. And Jesus says, what does He say? Well, you can't serve two masters, can you? You can't serve the master of, you'll be a slave to money, yourself and the world, or you'll be a slave to God. And so He makes it very clear to us as well. And I, I'm very clear, and I know on which slave master I'd want. I want a slave master in our Lord, uh, and I wanted to be bonded to him because he is a good, good father. He's a good, good God. Uh, is this just a cultural thing that is talked about slaves here? Um, culturally, what was going on, people could actually... It was a way of getting out of debt for people who found themselves in debt. They could bond themselves to someone to pay off that debt. And then normally at the end, they had a chance whether they decided to stay with their slave, for, uh, with their master for life, or they moved on. And that, that's picked up in the Old Testament teaching that you can read about in the law and what would happen there. But it's not advocating for slave trafficking or the removal of rights of people and human rights. Christians abolished that kind of stuff in the slave trade in Wilberforce and in Newton. And Christians, modern-day Christians, are to be advocates of that abolishment of slavery that we still see in trafficking in our times. But there is a parallel idea here that I want to pick up on. And there's a parallel idea, I think, in bosses and workers or volunteers which I think we can hone in on and just pick up something here. If you have a Christian boss or a, a Christian uh, master in, or coordinator in a voluntary organization, the worker is, if they know they're Christian, what's the temptation? The temptation is to just be slack, slack off, be casual, play the grace card and, you know, that the boss should show me grace and not to, be a, not to be hard worker. But there is a call here to actually a, a difference in that. If it's a non-Christian, um, if it's a non-Christian boss or coordinator, the worker's temptation is to what? Well, they could rubbish them. They could actually steal from them in time or tools. They could actually, uh, you know, claim their own rights. And so there's an encouragement here, and I think there's a parallel here which we can pick up on workers. Have a great opportunity to be a witness 
to the boss or those that are coordinating a, an organization and those that actually work within that workplace. There's a great opportunity to be a witness here for each worker or each volunteer, whatever capacity it is. Christians should display to the boss and to the others in that workplace that, um, that Christians are, uh, have the best interests here and the best work ethic. Um, they should be a demonstration of that in the workplace or wherever they come to and make that attractive to others. And the, the world should see that Christian workers and volunteers are really the, the only ones that are worth having. And so they should be a good example for that. Now it is the gospel that teaches and, and, and that trains us in that. It is the gospel that shows us how to act and engage and interact with our world. And so we finish with looking at and bringing you back to chapter 2 verse 11. It reminds us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so we see that it is the grace of God, isn't it? It's the grace of God that teaches and trains us. And we come back to that as we finish. It teaches Christians to say no to worldly passions. Now there are passions and godly passions uh, we, we think of sex, uh, I just mentioned that at the end to make sure you're all awake and still with me. Uh, but our world has a view on that and God has a view on that as well. It is a great gift that He has given, a godly gift that He actually invented and gave to us. And He gave us that passion. But when it's taken outside of the context of which He gives us, it becomes a worldly passion and it's looked at it with worldly eyes. And so we're not to become a slave to that and a slave to self and our own passions and lusts and longings. But we are actually to be trained by the good news of Jesus, by Him giving of Himself and Him rising to life, that we are, be, we are be to be transformed and changed. Trained Christians to be self-controlled and, and godly in our response, godly in our words. And so we don't always have to say those words that are critical. We don't have to always say those words that are judgmental. We don't have to say those words for uh, which we're argumentative. We can have self-control and God's Spirit teaches us that. May God's Spirit guide us and may God, God train us in this. May His gospel train us in this and may godly men and women help teach and train us as well. Please pray with me as we finish off. Lord God, we thank you so much that your good news gospel message has action and it teaches us, it trains us. And Lord God, we ask that you allow it to continue to teach and train us as we move from this space and as we move from this time. 
And we ask and pray these things in your name. Amen.